Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, Joel Ilier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Just come yeah. back from Wales. I know. You went for a whole week, didn't you? Did. Down yeah. the beach. Well, the kids enjoyed it. Not good. me so much. No. no, of course you didn't, Joe, because you're a bit of a miserable bastard. Yeah. Mate. I don't yeah. like the sand. Gets no. in my feet. I have to tidy myself up afterwards. Don't like the sea. Don't think humans belong anywhere near the sea, to be brutally honest with you. No, you wouldn't like it on beaches. All them them people having fun, all them kids, all them (laughs) good vibes, all of that. Not your kind of thing, Joe, is it? Not really, mate. I'm just a downer, aren't I? Absolutely. (laughs) How are you, mate? Welcome home, Joe. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good. But same old, mate. Same old. Same old. Enjoyed my weekend of boxing. Yeah, same and old. That's what you should have said. (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Let's jump straight in because there was a big fight this weekend, a a heavyweight world championship fight between Daniel Dubois and the legendary Alexander Usyk. And this one was full of controversy. And I'm going to jump straight into the talking point because really that's the only thing that probably, you know, matters to begin with. Was the uh, Daniel Dubois shot in the fifth round that put Usyk down and he was down and hurt a low blow, Joel? Well, let's solve this one by saying it was borderline, unfortunately. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was right there. I don't think you could really have complained if it had been given as a foul or if it had not. Therefore, I like you know the attacking player in the football and the offside getting the advantage if it's level. It should be given as far as I'm concerned. And for me, no, that that wasn't a, a foul. And that, that was a knockdown and he was seriously hurt. This was a massive moment in the head of heavyweight division, man. I think that went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Well, my initial reaction was it was definitely a clean shot. Mm. Um, I really, and when Usyk went down, I was almost shocked like, oh my God, he's he's been put down. That looked like a brilliant body shot as well. Having watched the replays at the time, when I was watching the fight, I was convinced, again, it was still clean. But I have changed my tune a bit. And it's more to do with the rules. Anything that is below the belt is an illegal blow. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest, like you say, it was borderline, but half that glove was below the belt. I do think Daniel Dubois can feel slightly aggrieved in the sense that I know it's obvious where Alexander Usyk's nuts were and they weren't really on the receiving end of that punch. No, nowhere near. However, I think by the letter of the law and it's certainly within the ref's discretion, that was... Well, let's say, let's call it this, Joe. It was half a nut shot. It was half a nut shot. Well, the thing is, if, if that is a nut shot, then that's got to go down in our top 10 list as one of the greatest ever nut shots. Yes. Because... That one had his full weight behind it. It, it was an absolute cracker. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He jumped right into that. Yeah. And so if that if that's a foul shot, then that, that straight away, mate, goes up there onto the Mount, Mount Rushmore. But it wasn't a terrible shot, whatever happens. I think that the where the problem has come from in this fight, I think the blame for the whole thing can actually be laid squarely at the referee, Louis Pabon's feet. Yeah. He should have made it clear before the fight in public, as referees normally do, where he deems the line, because it can be different on different boxers. Yeah. And normally, 
before the fight, the referee will say when giving the pre-fight instructions in ring to the uh, boxers and chief seconds will make clear visually where he deems a shot to be low, where yeah. that line starts from. And he didn't in this fight. Apparently, people have gone back to have a look at the instructions in the dressing room and apparently hasn't mentioned it there yeah. either. So he's dropped the ball. Yeah. I mean, Usyk certainly milked it 120%. And I also think, you know, there is an argument to be had that the referee was you know, quite biased towards Usyk. And I think Usyk played on it a bit. He was complaining quite a few times throughout the fight about punches that were, that looked good-ish to me or borderline about them being low. And he obviously gave Dubois more than one warning. Mm. It's a fight where Usyk used all his experience. But I do think we also have to say that Daniel Dubois, was, is he good enough? Was he good enough? I think the answer's got to be a resounding no from me personally. Well, for, I don't know what? what you thought of his performance. Well, for what? I think that in terms of from what we've seen from Dubois previously in his career, I think that this was probably his best performance. He hung with a world-class operator at top level, one of the top two guys in the division. He hung with him there for nine rounds, competed well, probably put him down. Let's say half the referees in the world would have had that he'd, he'd knocked him down for the first time in his career. Yeah. You know, he gave him some uncomfortable moments. What do we expect of him, frankly? I mm. don't think anyone before this was saying that he was one of the absolute top guys in the division. Mm. So from that respect, I thought he gave a good performance last night. I thought he did quite well. I was quite pleased for him. I thought that considering his his performance on the last sort of big stage, which was against Joe Joyce, where he, he took that knee and had to go down where he took two more knees this time, but... It felt different, and I, I thought that he acquitted himself quite well. He's got a story now after this. He's got his line of, I yeah. knocked Alexander Usyk out. Yeah. It was stolen from me. He's got somewhere to go. Um, I thought he did all right. I thought he boxed quite well, actually. I thought he, he didn't get completely outboxed for the whole fight, as I expected him to. Yeah. There were times that he was jabbing quite well with Usyk last night. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with your assessment. But I also think that Usyk wasn't on great form. No, but it's another thing. Did, did Usyk look good last night? He didn't. No, but so he, you've got to give Dubois some sort of um, yeah praise for that. Surely credit. The reason why I'm a bit reluctant to sort of go in with what well, I see a lot of people saying, oh, you know, he really acquitted himself well, but he lost pretty much every round. And other than that controversial point of the fight, you know, what did he really do? And I thought that was a very poor performance from Usyk as well. I thought he, when you say what did he do, I thought he sort of hurt Usyk a few times to the body. When I say hurt, I don't mean had him staggering about. I just mm. mean he got his attention mm. a few times. What did he do last night? I think that he probably competed on a closer level than Anthony Joshua did, actually. I thought that Usyk was less comfortable in the fight last night than he was in either of the mm. Joshua fights. That was the impression I got at points yeah. last night. I certainly don't think that he did much worse than Joshua, yeah. even though he got stopped. Yeah, um, I thought he competed all right. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to argue with that. I can certainly see that. Uh, one other point, though. I mean, did, did Dubois quit? Let's be honest here. In the ninth round, he got he got stung with what was really just a, a you know a good right jab, and he went down. Yeah. And it looked to me like he could easily have gotten up from that. He, as you said earlier, gave the impression of a man who just wanted out at that point. Oh. He sort of got up gingerly at nine, more or less gave the ref 
the total impression that he was done. And, yeah, you've asked a, you know, an, 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 an uncomfortable question because that, that's exactly it. My reading of it last night after the first knockdown was mm. he was giving the ref an opportunity to stop it, which the ref didn't take. We've spoken about it before when fighters quit without quitting and there's a few different ways of doing it. You can get up and take a little a little half step, Yeah, you know, one of those ones, or you can... You know, there's ways you can look at a ref. And one of them is you can start getting up after the count of nine, mm. which is what Dubois did both times last night. Yeah. I mean, there's taking every last second out of the count and what mm. you get, but then there's there's playing with fire. And if you really desperately don't want the referee to stop the fight, you don't start getting up after the count of nine. Yeah. I mean, it's that thing with Usyk where he he has this ability to sort of really sap the energy out of opponents. And, you know, one one of the things that I, I really feel won't ever make Dubois an elite heavyweight is the fact that he's just too muscular and he doesn't have yeah. the stamina to sort of go get himself into the championship rounds. See, that's why I think that he's at his absolute peak now because he's at that stage in his career where he's young enough that he can still fight at a bit of a pace mm. with that muscle. But in two years' time, yeah. his output is going to be 30% less. Yeah, he's So he's at his absolute peak of what he'll be at his career now because of his muscle. Yeah, He's going to fade really quickly, I think. Yeah. I mean, overall, it was a good fight. Uh, Usyk did what I sort of expected him to do. We both sort of called it a knockout. I think you maybe had it bit earlier than I did. Yeah, I thought six or seven and you thought... Eight or nine. That was, I think yeah. that's what I said. I think you said nine or ten. Oh, nine Either or way. ten. Okay. Either yeah, way, enough. it was bang on. Yeah, I do commend Dubois for the performance in that it, it at points when I was watching it, I felt a little bit like, oh, Usyk's not looking great here. You know, could 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 this, could Dubois pull it off? But I just don't think he has that thing where he can really t- dig deep enough and he or believe in himself enough. Mm. And I think that just stems from the fact that probably deep down he knows he's not got the elite level skill required and the, coupled with stamina issues. Uh, it kind of, you know, I, I, I just feel like we're never going to really see du, Dubois hit hit the heights, I'm afraid. But that's just my opinion. He may, may well prove me wrong. But I don't, I don't think, Mark, the only thing I'll just say is I don't think anyone expects him to. This wasn't the expectation of him, was it? Before the fight, was well, that was that it? That this is this is where Dubois shows whether he's no. an elite heavyweight or not. I don't think anyone anyone thought that Dubois is what he is, and I think that if he stays the contender, mm. you know, throughout his career, that's that's Dubois hitting where he should be, and that's him achieving. I think that's where most people would place him if he can be sort of elite European and on the fringes of top 10 earning those paydays yeah, and just being in consistent big fights, which I think he can be. I think he can be a Chisora-type figure yes, exactly. in the heavyweight division, yeah, as in he can fight everyone. He's definitely good enough to hang with the top guys in the division and mm. not be disgraced. He mm. showed that last night. He's a decent heavyweight contender. Yeah, Couple more points. Hopefully, the you know this may now open the possibility for Fury Usyk to just get done at some point. But there's another point I wanted to raise, which was, and this is what another thing I think Daniel Dubois uh, has you know has caused him problems is that the absurdity of the rankings, the WBA rankings, in that he became the number one challenger. He his best win is Nathan Gorman, and it just shows that these promotional outfits can play the game, get their guys to the you know into good positions in the rankings where they can get these title shots. Daniel De, Daniel Dubois is nowhere near ready enough 
for this sort of fight. He hasn't fought enough good level fighters yet who are below world level who will give him that experience. You know, beating... Who did he beat for the WBA belt on the Don King promotion? That Trevor absolute, Bryant. Trevor Bryant. I mean, come on. Jesus Christ. Anyone could beat Trevor Bryant. Even you could. I thought, <laughs> I thought, thought Bryant had a decent chance, mate. <laughs> I just think it's one of those positions where maybe the, the promotion hasn't helped him. You know, they've moved him into this position far too quickly. He's not ready for it. It's They've played politics really well, and now he's been found out. Again, I, again, I, I couldn't disagree more because this is his ceiling as a fighter, and he's just got a massive payday in an opportunity that if he did land a lucky punch, it was a mandatory, so he wouldn't have had to give him a rematch. There would have been nothing like that. I, I just don't think it's done him a disservice. I just think it's getting the maximum you can out of his career. I think it's. I, I, I think this, this is great promotion by Frank Warren, getting him this shot. He's moved him into that mandatory position. Looking at him, would he have been able to beat two, three contenders to be able to get his deserved title shot? Probably not. So they've moved him into this position and he's just got paid, you know, well, well, well north of a million pounds for this fight. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. I suppose so. Anyway, we shall move on. Now, here's a fight that was on last uh, weekend, I believe. Dennis McCann against Iona Baluta. And the reason I just want to have a chat about with you about this was it was a cracking fight. And, uh, it finished in a majority draw. The referee had to call a halt to proceedings owing to a couple of disgusting cuts uh, suffered by Dennis McCann. The overwhelming consensus on Twitter, as you know, I love boxing Twitter, was that um, Baluta had been robbed. But I watched the fight and I, I thought it was close and that maybe, you know, I could certainly see it as a draw. It was a really close fight where McCann was the better boxer, but it was one of those ones that you get in York Hall every now and again where it was just man against boy. Yeah. You had a prospect who'd been brought along, but he was in there for the first time against a man who was fighting back. Yeah. And Baluta's strength told in the fight, I thought, and... I would probably have had Baluta edging it at the time of the stoppage, but it was it was an even fight, and I think a draw is a perfectly was perfectly fine yeah. uh, for that, and and they'll have a rematch, and it'll, it's a good rematch that one. I yeah. think that actually ended it. It was quite good. It ended as it did in that it's built a nice little rivalry and story there. For yeah, McCann at a point in his career where it'll do him the world of good. I think the consensus as well was that this was actually going to be a very close fight. I think McCann was a you know. Fairly strong favourite, but I think people who knew it knew that this was going to be... I actually think it could work out for for Dennis McCann. He showed a good bloody chin, I'll give him that, and he was, you know, those cuts were horrific. He fought on, he didn't complain, got on with it. Um, So, yeah, no, fair play to both of them for putting on a a great fight at the uh, esteemed York Hall. Right, let's move on to the news. And Savannah Marshall has signed a multi-year deal with the Professional Fighters League. So she is looking to mix boxing with MMA. And for those of you who don't know, her longtime rival Clarissa Shields is also signed to the PFL. So you may actually see them go head-to-head in the cage or the octagon, whatever you want to call it. One thing that's interesting is that I did say to you when I heard this, I was like, does Savannah Marshall actually, has she ever done MMA? 
I, I saw an interview with her, actually. She has dabbled in a bit of jiu-jitsu. Has she? I've but, never heard her mention it before. Yeah, but, I mean, it's obvious that she's fairly novice when it comes to MMA. I, I, I think it's interesting, though. What seems to be happening is that you've got a couple of the top women fighters who seem to have run out of credible opposition, maybe money, in the women's game, and they have therefore decided to go with the money. And the money seems to be in the PFL. Fair play mm-hmm. to them. Yep. Right. Kiko Martinez has retired. The Spanish legend, two-time world champion, has called it quits. And probably a good thing. He got on now in age. He's fought so many wars. What's your uh, greatest Kiko Martinez moment? Can you think of God, one? Greatest moment? You might have to take go back right away to the beginning. He's coming out party against Bernard Don. Maybe that was at a point in Dublin yeah. um, back in 2007. Yeah. And that was, he, he came out there, Don was the fancied fighter. This was for the European ch- title. It was for uh, Martinez's European title. And uh, Don was fancied to win this one. This was meant to be Don's coming out party. Yeah. And it was big. This was hype. This was live on Sky Sports. And and Martinez went in there and absolutely demolished the guy in the round. And, yeah. and Bernard Don was a good Fighter, he was a he was a good super super bantamweight. Um, that right there, back in all the way back in 2007, 15 years ago, yep. might have been the high point in his career. But he had he had loads of them, mate. Also, win against Jonathan Romero, oh, right. um, yep. title winning effort. That was after he'd he'd lost to um, uh, Carl Frampton. Uh, it, that was sort of a couple of fights after that, and he, he went in in the US on a big, big American undercard and went in there and, and just completely wiped him out in about five or six rounds as well. So he's had a couple of... Kid couple Galahad. Of big, yeah, another big upset. All of these that we're talking about here are big knockout wins that were uppers, uh, upsets, yeah. um, which is what, what he did. He was he was an elite European-level fighter, multiple-time European champion, Couple of times he won belts. He had a he had a brilliant career and carried it on right right to the end. Our oh, stand up man, stand up, Kiko Martinez. Brilliant career. Absolutely. So enjoy your retirement, Kiko. I mean, he he certainly could pack a punch. Some of those knockouts were unbelievable. Pocket rocket. Exactly. Right. The British Boxing Board of Control and UCAD will appeal the decision of the National Anti-Doping Panel to clear Conor Ben to fight, which probably seems about right since we don't still really know how Conor Ben has clomiphene in his system. It would be absurd if he is allowed to box with that cloud hanging over his head. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same. Of course, I think everyone does. He still hasn't had to answer as to why he had clomiphene in his system. So he has not been cleared as he protests. Exactly, as he pretends, should I should you say. Mm. Right. Sorry, Joel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Feeling a bit bitchy today. Pretends to protest. <laughs> Deontay Wilder says that he is working on a two-fight deal with Anthony Joshua. First fight to take place in Saudi Arabia and then the second one somewhere in the continent of Africa. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course, they're in negotiations to fight in Saudi and then in Africa. Everyone believes you, mate. Yeah, let's uh, basically give this a bit of credence when it's actually signed. I mean, but- no, uh, no, let's just say it's clearly complete enough to rubbish. When you've got two of the top fighters in the world, right, going Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, who don't take numerous fights because of the purses, they want more money, to think, to even have the gall 
for it to come out of your mouth that you're negotiating for a fight in Africa. Yeah. Where you're gonna make zero money for a fight. Yeah. Just absolute bollocks. Well, not necessarily if, you know, they may they may find like a bit like Zaire, a state willing to put up a, you know, big chunk of the money or all the money. Unlikely, but I think you're gonna have if it does happen, there'll be you know, maybe, good, good money on the line. Maybe they will find a dictator to, to give them their, <laughs> their peace like they did with Mobutu back in Zaire in 1975. Who knows? Exactly. History might may repeat itself after all. Right. Tim Zhu against Brian Mendoza is set for October. I have to say, I really respect Tim Zhu. This is a good fight. Brian Mendoza is a live opponent and he can bang. Obviously, with Chamel Charlo going up and wait to take on Canelo, this probably looks like maybe the best available opposition. So is this one for that belt? Wasn't it the WBO have come up with one of the most ridiculous rulings you've ever heard in boxing that have said that they're not stripping Jamal Charlo of the WBO light middle title? I think you're right, actually. Until the bell rings against Canelo so the, the fight when the when the fight kicks off, it can be between two undisputed champions. But as soon as the bell rings, <laughs> they're then stripping Charlo and giving the belt to the winner of this fight. Yeah. So Canelo can't <laughs> become the undisputed junior middleweight or whatever it is. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, that is absurd, if true. Bonkers. I don't doubt you for one second. You shouldn't. Let's give Tim Zhu some credit. He's a bit of a throwback, isn't he? He seems to be looking for, you know, the smoke at every yeah, opportunity. Man. Young warrior. Here's a good fight that's been announced as well. Uh, Gilberto Zurdo Ramirez against Joe Smith. This one's also taking place in October. Joe Smith looking to back, back, uh, bounce back from his defeat to Arta Betabiev. A good fight, and I, I expect this one will be a bit of a slugfest. Yeah, I reckon someone's face is in trouble in that one. bit like most fights. <laughs> <laughs> the boxing scholar, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right, the Kinnahan of the week. Right, we've got a few here. Um, it's not been a good week or two for boxing in terms of failed drugs tests. And one of the more ironic pieces of news was that Robert Hellenius, who stepped in to fight Anthony Joshua after Dillian White failed a drugs test, has <laughs> failed a drugs test himself. Um, shocking. And I remember an interview with him prior to the Joshua fight when they were talking about Dillian White and he said, oh, I don't, I don't have I'm, heads in me. I've got Viking I'm blood. I'm Finnish. I don't need to. Viking yeah, blood yeah, was there. And, uh, you know, one of my faves, Alicia Baumgardner, very disappointing Alicia. She has also failed a drugs test. It, I mean, this boxing has a massive problem with performance enhancing drugs. And I don't see it being fixed anytime soon. I, I had a few um, just tweets on Twitter of people about various drugs things. And I genuinely think that what's going to happen, and this is, a, this is a bit of a downer, is I think someone's either going to get killed in the ring or severely injured. And the person who inflicts those injuries is going to found to have tested positive for PEDS. At mm. that point, boxing is going to be totally in the gutter. And only then at that point may you see some sort of call for changes or, I don't know, a more consistent system for testing something, you know, because basically if that happens, the, the very existence of boxing maybe in this country and other countries could be in peril. I mean, it could get to that point. It could, and this has been the danger for years, but now that we're getting a bit more 
good testing, more people are going to fail tests. Because what, what seems to be the case is that we're just getting a bit more VADA testing in this country. Yes. And so people are just failing tests now where Ooh. they weren't before. Although the Alicia Baumgartner failed yes. test was through an agency called Drug Free Sport. Now, Drug Free Sport are used in the US, I think, was it the Hockey League and NFL and basketball? I don't know. There's a couple of things. They're using them in some way in the US. And this is how Eddie Hearn has, has justified and given the company credibility. But what seems to have come out through this process is that although Alicia Baumgartner has failed this test, turns out that Drug Free Sport doesn't test for EPO and HGH. Now, EPO is is what's otherwise known as the clear, which was Victor Conte's old oh, substance yes. yeah, of yeah, bowel yeah. cold that he invented. And this is sort of probably what people use mainly to dope still to this day. And it's the same with human growth hormones, so synthetic t- t- testosterone. Yeah. And these are the main ways people cheat. In boxing, you can only find um, these substances in people's bodies through blood testing. Uh, you can't find it through urine testing. And it seems from the drugs that I've seen that drug-free sports test for, they're all things that you can pick up on urine testing. So I think that it seems that drug-free sport, in terms of the deal that they've done with Matchroom anyway, seem to only do urine testing, which isn't worth anything. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons. Generally, stuff doesn't stay that long in urine so if a substance is going to be picked up in your urine well you you better have taken it quite recently yeah and the other thing that you know you can't take testosterone levels and stuff like this in urine this is stuff that's only found through blood tests so what is the value of blood blood testing at the moment or drug testing if the stuff that people are using isn't actually being tested for. And so I think you've got a couple of questions that's come out lately. What's value of drug testing? If um, you're not testing for common drugs, and I think another one is what's the value of drugs testing if the results aren't valid in the jurisdiction that you're fighting in, which is the the thing that's come up with with Conor Ben recently. These are massive um, questions affecting the sport now. Just saying this fight or this fighter is under drugs testing or this fight is having drugs testing, that's not good enough anymore. We need to know what's being tested for, who's testing, and also, again, um, are the results going to be valid by the... Are they going to be accepted by the local jurisdiction? And the other huge one as well is when has the drug testing started? Are we starting these tests five weeks out from the fight or are we six months out from the fight or is it 24-7, 365 days a year? These are vital questions to see if people are being tested properly. Yeah, totally agree with you. It's uh, it's a a huge, huge issue in the sport and it's not going away anytime soon. Right, here's an interesting one for you. I thought I'd uh, give an honourable mention to John Fury for his antics at the... Um, KSI and Tommy Fury press conference. I mean, he is possibly the biggest idiot walking the earth. He is a Fury after all. It's not very surprising. He decided, for those who listeners, any of our listeners who don't know, he decided to kick a couple of tables at the presser and do his usual come and let's have a fight type thing. But then obviously he didn't have a fight because he, he he's an old man, basically. It's pathetic. Well, who was he proposing that he fought? I mean, I I just think that... I, I don't th- actually think any of this is 
serious on his part. It's all an act. It's all WWE. But to what I just I could never bring myself to do it because it's such such clownish, false nonsense. And then the apology video that he did the day after. You know, he did an apology video. Did an apology video, like <laughs> sincerely. You know, like I'm sure that the commercial partners have probably had you know something to do with that. Yeah. But look, it's just just stay out of it. This is your son's moment. It's not yours. Just and and you're an old man. You've had your chance to shine. It's over. Just stop it. Right. Anyway, rant over. You've got one final one for us based on some of the uh, action on the uh, top rank card last night. Uh, well, last night we had Fr Jagba um, up against uh, Zhang Kusabutsky, who was unbeaten going into the fight. It's an Uzbek fighter. Um, these are two heavyweights going at it for for a contender for contender status. Actually, whoever yeah. won this fight would probably be there or thereabouts, getting called as a mandatory for one of the. One of the belts. Anyway, they've gone in there, <clears throat> and um, he had an odd look on his face. This Kozabutsky guy, uh, right from the start, he didn't look very interested. He had this super arrogant, disinterested yeah. look on his face. It was an odd one from the outset. He had the strangest footwork I've seen where he just didn't look like he could be bothered to move his feet. It was odd. Yeah. And then he started just throwing low bow blows, um, hitting and holding and stuff like this, but sort of really blatant in front of the referee, stuff almost looking at the referee, daring him to take points. Yeah. Um, ended up getting points taken away, I think, at the end of the second uh, for hitting on the break. Um, then started hitting low repeatedly um, and, and hard as well. Ref took off a couple of points in the end. Then then in the fourth round, he just sort of, in a very strange, nonchalant way, just throws a left uppercut and doesn't wait for the ref to do anything or even a job to do anything. Throws a left uppercut about sort of like a proper left uppercut low, unlike unlike the one in that, that main event. Yeah, yeah. Um, he threw it so low, uh, not hard, but really low, blatant. And as soon as he threw it, he started walking off. Without it didn't wait for a ruling to be called, didn't he just threw the punch and started walking off straight away as so I knew he was gonna be disqualified, was disqualified, chucked out, clearly did not want to be in the ring and tried as hard as he could to get himself disqualified. It was an absolute disgraceful performance, all up there on YouTube. So that is Jan Kosobutsky for his performance against FA Job, but that was a real disgrace. He did an Andrew Galotta. He did. He did do an Andrew Galotta, actually. He did. For anyone who doesn't know, check out Andrew Galotta against Riddick Bow. I mean, nowhere near as spectacular as Galotta could. No one could do it like Galotta could do it, man. And, and Galotta did it when he was winning the fight, yeah. which was really weird. He was absolutely destroying Bow, but still somehow managed to find a way to get disqualified for repeated nut shots, as we say. He really was crazy, that man. Oh, he was. He was mad. Brilliant. Right, so that's the Kinahan of the Week section. We've got three people, three contenders in there. Magazine Lottery. Joel, uh, last time we did our episode, you picked out a magazine. Yes, Joel, I picked out uh, Ring Magazine from February 2008. Yep. And looked at this. We did discuss maybe doing a bit on Kelly Pavlik, but I've put that one in the old back pocket, saved that one for a, for a rainy day because <laughs> um, we had a good little article in here um, about the heavyweight situation. Um, so I looked at the heavyweight ring rankings. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but with the ring magazine, um, although this was February, 2008, uh, 
these are actually printed months in advance. Yep. And so um, the ring rankings actually go to, that are featured in this magazine, go to October 21, 2007. Right. And the heavyweight rankings in this are spectacularly bad. <laughs> and it's made me realise, I've looked at this and gone, I think that that is, without a shadow of a doubt, the worst rankings that we've ever had in the heavyweight division. This was the all-time low patch for the heavyweight division. This is in October 2001. So I wanted to do a little bit of a rundown of our, our top 10 heavyweights at this time and see who who we had in there. And we can do a little bit of comparison at the end with who we've got now oh, yeah. in our top 10 just to see quite what lucky boxing fans <laughs> we are these days, Joe. Um so our our top 10 of undesirables, I would say, start with at number 10, Tony the Tiger Thompson. So this was the 31 oh and 1 version of Tony Thompson. At this point, his only loss had actually been to an anonymous Eric Kirkland on points. And that was in a really early fight in his career. It was a four-rounder in his sort of fifth or six fights. So in order to get his top, top 10 heavy, heavyweight ranking, this is with the Ring magazine. So this isn't with like the this WBA. Yep. Yeah, yeah, this is this is an actual this is uh, an organization. I know this this actually is the the best we've got to offer. Yeah. As of October 21st, 2007. <laughs> Anyway, so Tony Thompson there to get his ranking at number 10 so far in his career. He'd beaten Zuri Lawrence, who was, had, I think, eight losses at the time, and Vaughn Bean. They were sort of heavyweight gatekeeper types. <laughs> and he'd beaten a fringe contender at the time, who was 26 and 3, and Dominic Gwynn. And he was a sort of heavyweight that was sort of always about at this time in the early 2000s. He he was another gatekeeper type. And he had beaten the contenders, Timur Ibrahimov and Luan Krasniki. Krasniki had been the European champion at the time as well. So that's what he'd done at that point. Um, He'd beaten barely anyone, basically. A couple of fringe contenders. And there he is, top 10 ranking in the the heavyweight division. After this, he, he did go on to challenge Vladimir Klitschko. He was knocked out in the 11th round. That was for most of the belts. That was in 2008. Lost again to Vladimir in 2012, that time in six rounds. Um, after that loss, he then had his peak wins after that. He, he beat David Price twice, handed yes. him his first two losses in 2013. Uh, that, that burst his bubble and he was never the same again. And the infamous um, uh, video Break your hips. I'm, I'm going to break your hips. It's warning. <laughs> It was actually a threat to his wife, uh, spoken from from the ring after that fight, that he was going to break his wife's hips Gosh, when he got home. very vulgar. Um, and he also, in that period in 2014, he beat Orlandia Solis away mm. in 2014 in Turkey, which kind of put put to bed any thinking that Solis might do something yep. in the heavyweight division. Um, so he was he was a heavyweight road warrior, really. He was a trial horse, but he was really one step below a journeyman. Yeah. And he made um, he made that top 10 at that time. He retired in 2016 after losing to Luis Ortiz. Uh, number nine, got the completely uninteresting and anonymous European heavyweight champion, Vladimir Virtus. Um, he'd had two wins, one against pa- two wins against Paolo Vidos. Sorry, before that, um, and he'd also lost to Ruslan Chagiev. Uh, after this, he uh, won three more fights. Um, so he had three more fights after this, um, but it, in that run, he he lost to Juan Carlos Gomez, and he retired in two thousand and nine. So he did virtually nothing before this fight. Won won the European belt though, which got him his top ten ranking, yeah. and did absolutely no- nothing after this. Uh, so he made a brief. Brief foray into the top ten. This and is was, gonna be was a, never to be seen again. <laughs> this is gonna be a stellar list. <laughs> this is 
Honestly, mate, it doesn't get much better. <laughs> Next in, yeah, we've got Chris Bird ranked at number eight. Okay, um, decent. All I'm right. not gonna. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, decent. He, he was he was all right. He wasn't. He was all right, but not at this stage no. of his career. Now okay. this is 2007. So Chris Bird was this undersized heavyweight who, at one point, several years earlier, had been a decent contender. I'll give you that, Joe. So he'd just been battered by Vladimir Klitschko in a rematch, and after this, lost to Povetkin as well. Um, he also moved down to light heavyweight, so he moved from heavyweight right away down to 175, beat, I think it was Sean George, I seem to remember, sorry, fought Sean George but lost in his one fight back down at light heavyweight yeah. and then retired in 2009. He did beat Vladimir Klitschko though, didn't he, in the first fight? No, he beat Vitaly Klitschko. He beat Vitaly Klitschko. But he didn't really beat him, it was an injury. Vitaly beat oh, Klitschko. Oh, that was it, yes, it yes. Had in, was sorry. winning the fight but had torn his rotator cuff yeah. and uh, then he got pulled out and yes, so there was that. Mm. But it wasn't. He didn't beat mm. Vitaly. Really, it was. It was a bit lucky. He retired on his. Sorry, sport. I got slightly confused. I'm thinking of someone else who beat um, Vladimir. Funnily enough, but maybe they're in the top ten at this time. Who knows? So going from eight to seven, we seem to go down in quality. So we're going <laughs> from Chris Bird through to the one-hit wonder, Sergei Lakovic. Right. Um, Lakovic hadn't fought at this point for about a year since Shannon Briggs had stopped him in the 12th round, the mm. closing seconds, in fact, of the 12th round of the first defence of his WBO title in November 2006. Yep. He'd won that title against Lamont Brewster. Um, this guy went on to be a gatekeeper. This was the absolute peak of his career, was beating... Um, Lamont Brewster obviously lost it in that first defence. Yeah. Didn't get anywhere near those heights again. Went on to be a gatekeeper in the division. He lost to several champions and contenders. Didn't beat a ranked opponent again. And actually I looked at his record and he didn't he hadn't beaten a ranked opponent before he'd won that title against Lamont Brewster in the first place. Yeah. So he really was a, a one fit hit wonder. Went on for quite a long time after this though. He retired in twenty twenty. He was really inactive, had really long spells out of the ring. Um but did fight um, a few more times and, yeah, fought on for another 13 years after this lift was, was taken. Wow. In at number six, we've got Sultan Ibrahimov. <laughs> so this was the more popular and more successful of the not very popular or successful Russian Ibrahimov brothers. Um, these guys both fought at a heavyweight. They had long, quite good amateur careers in those sort of you know, the sort of pity-pat amateur days with that point scoring, not three-round scoring yeah. system. They did well in that system. They turned heavyweight. Their styles weren't right. Didn't work. But Sultan, at this point, was the current WBO champion. He'd beaten Shannon Briggs yeah. for that belt in a horrific fight for the belt a few months previous to Horrific this. as in terrible. As in terrible. Um, <laughs> he went on to lose that belt the following February, uh, a few months after this, uh, February 2008, and he didn't fight again. So again, just a totally nondescript, nothing career. Wow. Um, found himself in that top 10 and was out of it, never to be seen again a few months later. It seems to be a bit of a, a theme of this list. Scraping none, the bottom of the of barrel. Them, none of them last long, mate. Oh my um, gosh. In at number five, we've got one of the very worst champions in the history of the heavyweight division we've got the sort of fake box of the giant russian circus oh act nikolai valuev now he at this point had just lost his wba belt to rosalind chagayev um he was he, in some classics joel <laughs> <laughs> he 
he was just really big. So if you've never seen Nikolai Valiev before, he's got absolutely nothing as a boxer. He didn't have a good jab. He mm. didn't um, throw a good right hand. Didn't have good body work. Didn't have good footwork. He had absolutely nothing other than girth and height. Yeah. Uh, he was a huge man, just under seven foot tall. Um, won a couple of belts off of the back of this because it was this horrific uh, time in the heavyweight division. At this time, he was... Uh, he was promoted by Don King. Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, who'd brought him over to America? Um, he'd yeah he'd lost that title that he'd beat he'd won controversially to an old John Ruiz. Yeah. Um, and he actually after this would go on to win another vacant title against an ancient John Ruiz. Yeah. Um, in another controversial decision. Yeah. Um, he would go on to in that run his only defense would be against Evander Holyfield, who he defeated in what way, Joe? Controversially, that's right. Did um, he win most of his fights on the split decision or they majority were all decision? splits and yeah. all of this? Yeah, because he, he just they all needed to basically be um sort of just oiled in his direction. Mm. Uh anyway, he would go on to lose his belt against David A in 2009 in his last fight. So he uh he retired a couple of years after this list. Another great was champion. Compiled. Um <laughs> in at number four, we've got Rosalind Chagaev, he's the Uzbek WBA champion. He'd just beaten Nikolai Valued. He'd also beaten Vladimir Virtues. So he'd actually beaten two of the current top 10 of this list. So he deserved to be in the top 10, I guess. Um, He was then stopped in a unification in nine rounds to Vladimir in 2009. He had a sort of silly spell as a WBA champion, a secondary WBA belt from 2014 to 2016. Uh, He lost the belt in a crazy fight in uh, Grozny in Russia in front of um, the Uzbek sort of dictator fella. Was this to um, the Australian To the Lucas Brown. Then after this fight, Lucas Brown failed drugs tests. Um, But Chagayev didn't fight for that vacant belt. He didn't fight again after this. So... Um, Gosh, that was steaming with there. quality here absolutely retired in 2016 <laughs> there in at number three the quality just gets better we've got Oleg Maskiev oh um, gosh Oleg Maskiev the third ranked heavyweight in the world as of October 2007 was the perennial um, heavyweight contender from Russia got a lot of Russians on this list um he was current WBC champion. He'd knocked out Hazim Rackman for the belt in 2006 in what was a really good finish. Um, the second time, actually, he'd knocked Hazim Rackman out. Uh, the one previous to that, he'd knocked Hazim Rackman clean out of the ring. Yes, I remember. Um, so he'd, he had form there. He he lost his belt in his next fight, though, to Samuel Peter. Ah. Um, and he didn't have another noticeable fight after that Peter fight, and he, he retired in 2013. So Samuel Peter must be on this list, surely. In at number two is the Nigerian nightmare. Samuel Peter. Samuel Peter. Oh, my um, gosh. He just lost to Vladimir Klitschko. Um, well, no, he'd lost to Vladimir, but he'd just beaten James Tony twice, actually, uh, just before this fight. On points. Um, on points. The first one was super controversial. Um, the, the general consensus was that Pony had won that fight. Peter did win the rematch quite fairly, though. That was kind of probably the end of... James Tony being a really serious, legitimate heavyweight contender, yeah, uh, losing to him there. Um, so that was the end of that. We do have to say though, Samuel Peter in his fight against Vladimir quitted himself relatively well, and then he put Vladimir down three times. He did, and still but lost, he lost the fight pretty on much points. all the other rounds. He lost so. every other round of the fight. So going into that Vladimir fight, he was actually seen as the guy who maybe would take over the heavyweight division because there was such a dearth of talent mm. that at least he went in there, and at the time he was knocking people out. He got a few eye-catching wins and he was seen as a real legitimate guy who might carry the heavyweight division forward. Yeah. But he was never the same again after that night against yeah. Vladimir. 
And uh, so this was after his loss to Vladimir then? This was after the loss to Vladimir. He then went on after this to have a really up and down career. He fought Vitaly Klitschko after Vitaly's comeback. So Vitaly obviously didn't fight again after the Danny Williams fight for years because of his injuries. Yep. He made his comeback against um, Do you mean Samuel the Lennox Peter. Lewis one? Nope, I mean no, it was Danny Williams. No, I mean, oh, okay. I mean the Daniel, Danny Williams fight. And he, he then um, didn't fight for years after that one. His... his comeback fight was against Samuel Peter and that was for a vacant WBC belt at the time. Yeah. Um, and and he absolutely wiped the floor with Peter and that was the end of Peter after that. But did he knock quite, him out in that fight? He didn't. He just he put an he just put a jab in his face for 12 rounds basically. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. He really hurt him badly. Yeah. That was one of those fights that damaged fighters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a bit like that. And, and he went up on, had a bit of an up and down career. He lost most of the big fights, so he lost obviously to both the Klitschkos after that, as I mentioned. Mm. Also lost to Kubrat Pulevin, somewhat sadly, I thought, relatively recently in 2019 to Huey Fury, which wasn't a nice spectacle. He had nothing at all left there and, and he retired in 2019. And at number one, here we've, <laughs> we've got the only one that would stand up on the list, yeah. and that is Vladimir Klitschko. But this is sort of the worst good incarnation of Vladimir yeah. is what I'd say. So Vladimir at the time was only had one belt. So he just had the IBF title because um, he'd beaten Lamont Brewster. It, Vladimir at the time was thought of as an absolutely awful heavyweight champion. He yeah. was unpopular. The Americans thought he was a joke, as did the Brits, really. Yeah. He was a guy who hadn't showed that he could take a punch again yet. Yeah, He was... Incredibly fragile. He'd already lost to journeyman Ross Purity. He'd lost to sort of all time, one of the worst belt holders of all time in Lamont Brewster. And he'd Corey also Saunders. lost to Corey Saunders. Where he'd had a right battering in that Corey Saunders fight. So he was right at the beginning of his rebu rebuilding journey with Emmanuel Stewart. But even at this stage, because the division was so poor, yeah. even at this stage, he was number one. And you look at that list, and this was... Not an impressive Vladimir Klitschko, but you look at that list and you go, well, he's number one. And actually, he's number one by an absolute, absolute mile. mile. Yep, absolutely. That's a brilliant piece, Shaw. I really enjoyed that. Gosh, the state of the heavyweight division then. And to be fair, I mean, that was a sort of running theme for many a year, how it, bad the heavyweight division was. It didn't no get one much was better. interested in it. You no, know. absolutely. It didn't get much better at all. So I'm just going to really quickly now just run through our top 10 now. And I think we can all be quite pleased after this. So right now, Ring Magazine, top 10 at heavyweight. We've got Jared Anderson. Good. At number 10. At number nine, we've got Philip Hergovic. Decent Can't prospect. complain yep. about that. Number yep. eight, Joseph Parker. I would swap those two around for definite, but fair enough. Yeah. Number seven, Luis Ortiz. Wouldn't have him in there at all, nope. but fair enough. Yep. Number six, Joe Joyce. Number five, Andy Ruiz. Number four, Gilet Zhang. Yeah. Number three, Anthony Joshua. Number two, Deontay Wilder. Number one, Tyson Fury and champion. They've got Alexander Usyk. Well, I would say that I would fancy most of them to give that version of Vladimir Klitschko a run for his money. Yeah. So that's what we've got now. In fact, I would say pretty much all of them. We don't know about Jared Anderson. I could take Jared Anderson, Joseph Parker, and Luis Ortiz out of that. Every other fighter there, I would say, is 50-50, maybe 40-60 at worst against Vladimir. That version of Vladimir. That yeah. version. Yeah. No, interesting. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the heavyweight division is seeing better Days. Right, Joel, pass me a stash of magazines, please. Right, I have just picked out an edition of Boxing News dated 4th of July 2008. 
And on the front cover, we have Manny Pacquiao with the headline, Manny the Matador. This was when uh, Manny Pacquiao absolutely obliterated, was it Juan Diaz? No, it was... Um, David Diaz. David Diaz. One of it. his best performances, that. Oh my gosh, that was an absolute beatdown. That was his caliber. That, that was his first of that run where you got it. That's the all-time great run. It started with that fight, David Brilliant. Diaz. Brilliant. And a couple of... Uh, other headlines, Marsh, new British champ in 11th fight, and contenders, who can beat Klitschko? Which is interesting, because your oh, addition's not far yeah. off this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be fair, probably right. No one could beat Klitschko, because everyone around at the time was, was useless. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> right, so there we go. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this edition. I certainly have. And, uh, Joel, any last words? Love you all. And on that note... Goodbye.